Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grace. We're really glad that you're here today. An artist uh, started with a blank canvas and painted a winter scene. There was a meadow with some hills as a backdrop. A few trees, bare, stood in the uh, meadow. And the sky was filled with dark clouds. Snow blanketed the ground. It was really a, a bleak picture. And then he, 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 put a, he put a cabin there, a log cabin, that looked like it was abandoned. And the bleakness really looked like gloom and, and desolation. But then he sat for a while, and he put away the grays and the browns, and dipped his artist's brush into the gold and then put a, a glow into the window of that log cabin. And suddenly, the picture dramatically changed. With one stroke of the brush, from a picture of gloom and desolation to a warm and cozy sight. Because hope had been brought to what seemed to be a desperate, desolate situation. We've been tracking in the life of Abraham and Sarah now for a few weeks, and we've seen lots of things about their picture in life. We've seen how there were a lot of upsides to them. For instance, they had the faith to believe God and leave their home and go to a place God was showing them. That's so tough, but, but they passed that test with flying colors. We've seen also how Abraham had the courage to go and rescue his nephew Lot when he was in a desperate situation. Abraham kept on holding on to God and believing him, and he was willing to act upon his faith. It was awesome. We've seen also how that Abraham was a man of tremendous prayer and intercession, and uh, he interceded for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and for God to spare those cities if there were some righteous people there. But we've also seen that while Abraham and Sarah were people of faith, they didn't pass every test with, with flying colors. Sometimes, for quite frankly, it was a picture of gloom and desolation as they fell on their face more than once. But overall, they were tremendous people of faith. And some 25 years before, God had made a promise to them that they were going to be the, the parents, if you will, that Abraham was going to be the father of many nations. There was going to be all these generations of descendants. And yet, still right now, their picture looked rather gloomy and desolate. But then God appeared once more and said, look, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. And suddenly it's as though God, this grand artist, had dipped his brush in the gold and suddenly there was a glow in the, in the picture of Abraham and Sarah's life. Suddenly hope had returned. And sure enough, Sarah became pregnant and gave birth to a baby boy, and their faith was fulfilled. Now, for the minutes that follow today, what I want us to do is to continue in their story, and we're going to wrap this particular series up next weekend, and I really urge you to catch that. 
I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I believe that Genesis 22 is one of the 10 most important chapters in the Bible, and we're going to explore that next weekend, and I'll explain to you why I'd make that statement as we look once again how that Abraham was severely tested by God. I don't think you want to miss that. I believe there's going to be lots of parallels to your life today and what you may be going through. But today, I want you to see how God restored their faith, how he restored their joy, how God fulfilled the promise that he had made so many years before. Let's jump in and get started. First, I want you to see that the promise was received, and it came, of course, in the form of this little tiny baby. Let's pick this story up in Genesis 21, starting in verse 1. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. So, for the last 25 years, God had continued to reiterate this promise, and yet Sarah's womb had remained barren. Abraham and Sarah had learned to wait in their walk with God. And you know what I believe? I believe a number of you, dear brothers and sisters, as followers of our Lord Jesus, you know what? I think you're in God's waiting room right now. Perhaps you've prayed for years that God would bring you a Christian spouse, a soulmate, someone you could kind of do this journey of life together with and experience the joy of that, and yet, although God has answered your prayers, the answer so far has been, wait, not yet. Some of you have been praying for employment, and although you've done your part, you've made the applications, you've prayed, you've committed it to God, you've done all the due diligence, those answers just keep coming back. You know, you're really overqualified for this job. Or you know, we've just put a freeze on hiring for this next period of time, and so your frustration is very real. The struggle is a daily one, and you're in God's waiting room. Some of you have been praying for years for a certain situation to kind of, in your family, to go the right way, and yet, you know, families are the toughest environment of all, right? We all know that. You can't live with them, you can't live without them, it seems, and yet your family, while you love them dearly, sometimes the frustration just seems to mount, and the answer com comes back from God, wait, wait, not yet. There's some things I want to do first before this is all resolved and set right. I tell you, friends, one of the hardest things on this journey with God is to be in God's waiting room and be patient. But one of the biggest lessons we learn from Abraham and Sarah is that God's timing is always perfect. And the baby finally came right in God's perfect timing. Now, this was obviously extremely unusual. I mean, come on, a 90-year-old woman giving birth to her first child? 
<laughs> Max Lucado quips, Sarah was the only person in town who paid her obstetrician with her social security check. Right? And that's true. And listen, I don't know what you may be going through today, but what I'm saying is that the one lesson that we ought to learn from Abraham and Sarah's story, although it's really not over yet, there's so much more we can learn, the one lesson we ought to learn is that there's nothing too hard for the Lord, amen? And I want you to take that away today, brothers and sisters. I want you, oh, I want you to be encouraged because I know what it's like when you're sitting in God's waiting room and you're looking for answers and you just want this to be over. You want a new day, a new season. I've been there. Sometimes it seems I live there. And yet we serve the God who can do immeasurably more than all we even ask or imagine. He can give a child to a woman who's far beyond childbearing age. He can take the faith of eight individuals and, and build a boat to save them that's the size of an NFL football field. God can take a young lad of faith and take a rock and a slingshot and slay a giant. That's the kind of God we serve. And God could save us even though it requires him taking on flesh, coming into the neighborhood and tabernacling for a while among us. That's the kind of God we serve. He says, I will never leave you nor will I ever forsake you. And I hope you can hear God's encouraging word to you today. But hear me, it took persistence. Abraham and Sarah couldn't be wimpy in their faith. They couldn't be here today and gone tomorrow. They had to be persistent. And we read in the next verse, verse 3, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. My point is that not only did he obey what God had told him with the circumcision of his son, but it seems as we read his story, although he was sometimes out of step with God, basically his life was one of persistence. I'm reminded of the college girl who was walking across her campus and a, a guy some 30 yards away said, hello there. She was a little embarrassed, didn't know who this dude was, never seen him before, and she just kind of put her head down and went the opposite direction. But the next day, it happened again. She was walking on a sidewalk on campus, and this guy rushed out of a class and said, hello there, and again, just embarrassed, not knowing who this was, not sure she wanted to get to know. She just put her head down and kept going in the other, other direction. But the problem was he followed her came up right behind her and said, hello there. And she said, do I know you? He said, yeah, we met yesterday. <laughs> now that, folks, that is persistence. And it requires persistent faith to see the kind of fulfillment that Abraham and Sarah saw. Fred Craddock says, to give my life for Christ appears glorious to pour myself out for others, to be a martyr for Christ. Lord, I'll do it. Lord, I'm ready. I'll go out in a blaze of glory. Craddock writes, and we think 
giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the altar of God and saying, here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all to you. But he says the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in that $1,000 bill for quarters. And we go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents there. Listening to a neighbor kid's problems. Going to a committee meeting. Giving a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Helping a friend solve a problem. And Craddock concludes by saying, usually giving our life to Christ isn't all that glorious to be honest. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. Oh, how true that is. But that's what Abraham and Sarah experienced, and that's what we need to understand, that walking with Jesus is going to mean for us. It's not just one big decision where it's this blaze of glory. No, it's a daily persistence as we see his promise fulfilled. And here the promise came in the form of a crying little baby in the arthritic hands of a mom who was really, when it comes to age, more like a grandmother than a mom. Well, the promise was received, but secondly, I want you to see here in this progression that joy was restored. You know, there's something about waiting, no matter how arduous or painful it may be, there's something about when the fulfillment comes, the joy can come in a moment. In a moment. If you've ever had a child, you know that the nine-month period can be exciting, right? It's a time of anticipation and waiting. I, I can't even imagine, though, what it would be like to wait for 25 years and anticipate the birth of a child. God has blessed Debbie and me with uh, two amazing children. Oh, like all of you, we love our kids. Our firstborn was Allie, and we went to Albany Medical Center for that. I'll never, ever forget it. Uh, Deb was in labor for 25 hours, and two hours, two complete hours of pushing. Man, was I exhausted. No, yeah, I mean it. I mean it. I mean, she had an epidural. I went natural. Man, was I exhausted. Our second child, Chase, we went to St. Peter's for that delivery. I, I wanted Deb to go to Domino's Pizza, you know, free delivery. I, I thought it might help our budget a little bit. She didn't think it was funny either. So, But that one, too, was a time of joy because when the child arrives, the, the tears of pain... Give way to tears of joy. And we just cried our eyes out with joy at the birth of both of our children. Jesus essentially said the same thing in John 16 when he said, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Sarah probably had a really tough time with this birth. Imagine 
90s years old, never had a child. It's her firstborn, no anesthesia. But in spite of the pain, the long-awaited son had been born. And while many tears were probably shed, I'm sure that there was also lots of laughter. We read on down in verse 6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Now, just a little footnote for you kind of serious Bible students, when you study this whole story of Abraham and Sarah, it's kind of interesting. Scholars like to point this kind of thing out. Laughter is a huge theme in this story. Did you know that? Laughter. It's a major theme in this story we've been studying, and so far I've mentioned it, but I've not made a great deal of it. For instance, we read in Genesis 17, 17, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And as I look at this, I see that as kind of a laugh of faith. Have you ever had that laugh? The laugh of faith when, hey, in spite of how things may look, in spite of how I feel, you know what? I know that I can trust God because I've learned I can. I know he's got my back. That's sort of the laugh of faith. It's a wonderful laugh. But there's also a laugh of doubt in their story. As we pointed out last week, when Sarah heard the news she was going to give birth, I mean, she laughed. She really didn't believe it. If she really believed it, as I said, she probably would have cried, not laughed. Here she is, 89, when she hears that announcement. And she's just not convinced, I don't think. It was a laugh of skepticism. And by the way, Isaac's very name, some of you know, means Laughter, or he laughs. Kind of interesting, isn't it? In the Old Testament, names had huge significance. It usually said something about the person's story or something about their background or, uh, you know, what was going on in their life. Sometimes people even change their names to kind of signify a significant change in their life or perspective. And I'm convinced that when Abraham gave the name Isaac, when God gave the name Isaac to Abraham, I'm convinced that God himself laughed. It's like he was saying, Abraham, you know, I guess you think it's so funny that Sarah would bear a child in her old age and you at the age of 100 would finally have the joy of being a dad. You know what? Just to kind of mark this moment and celebrate this impossibility, let's give the child the name laughter. (laughs) So that every time you call his name, you're reminded of the joy I've given you. Yeah, let's call him, let's call him laughter. And that's what he was named. Abraham and Sarah had been through so much pain and disappointment, but now their joy was restored. Now, Christ followers, please hear me. I'm convinced that as a Christian, while you are not exempt from pain, right, I'm convinced that if you go through that pain with God, 
and keep hanging on to him and keep persevering that he always brings us eventually out on the other side of that waiting room. He brings us to a place of joy. He is a God of laughter. Let me ask you a question. Do you have enough laughter in your life? Is your family, is your home life a place where there's some robust and healthy laughter on a regular basis? I determined that as far as it was up to me, years ago, I made this as a life goal. I really did. I've got it written down. I could show you in my journal where I put this down along with another short list of things that I was going to do every day. One of the things I was going to do every single day is laugh. If I could possibly find anything to to have a sincere laugh about every day, I want laughter to be a part of my experience. Proverbs 17 reads, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Do you have enough laughter in your life? God brought laughter to Abraham and Sarah. And laughter has all kinds of benefits. For one, it can ease tension. Some years ago, there was a big debate going on in Lexington, Kentucky, over what the closing hour should be of the local bars. And usually they closed at 1 a.m. in Lexington. And there was a desire among some to have them stay open till 4 a.m., so to extend the hours to close. And One well-known preacher in the city, pastor of Southland Christian Church, his name was Wayne Smith, he found himself in a debate on a radio show debating one of the chief champions of leaving the bars open later, and the the debate got heated. And even though Wayne was a a great Christian and, and a godly man, I mean, this really got heated as they began to debate this thing, and when Wayne saw where it was headed... He said, well, I'm reminded of something Will Rogers said years ago. He said, if a man can't get drunk by 1 a.m., he isn't really trying. (laughs) And uh, the other guy laughed, and then Wayne Smith laughed, and then the people in in the recording studio there laughed. And they spent the last two minutes of what had been a hostile, heated environment just kind of laughing. Laughter eased the tension. Margot Fontaine said, the one important thing I've learned over the years is the difference between taking one's work seriously and taking oneself seriously. The first is imperative and the second is disastrous. There comes a point where our joy is restored. Several days ago, I watched a joyful video. Oh, it was so joyful to me. I watched a video of Madison Dunlap taking her first steps. Wow, was that awesome. I mean, (laughs) after all she's been through, and I watched that, and tears came to my eyes as I watched that video of Madison taking her first steps. And I just had to smile. (laughs) I just had to laugh. I just laughed. 
Because I thought after all she and her family have been through, and now here God is continuing to heal and restore, and he's bringing the joy back. And let's continue to pray for Madison and her whole family. But that's the kind of God we serve. He makes the joy return no matter how much we've had to bear in this life. And heaven, of course, will be the ultimate Example of that where he changes us in the twinkling of an eye. And while God may choose at seasons to remain silent down here, we must choose to wait and trust him. Isaiah the prophet wrote, Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary, they will walk and not be faint. Abraham and Sarah learned that lesson that all of us Jesus followers need to learn. God's never in a hurry, but he's never late. His timing is always perfect. The promise was received. The joy was restored. And finally today, I want you to see that hope was rekindled. Perhaps you're thinking, what's the big deal? What's the significance of this? Well, remember that the Messiah was to come from the lineage of Abraham and through David. And back in Genesis 17, verse 5, we read, No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I'll bet his buddies busted his chops over that. When his name changed to Abraham, means father of many nations. How many kids you got, Abraham? Huh, huh, huh? How many kids you got? And to them, it was like a joke. It was funny. <laughs> Your name means father of many nations. You don't have a single stinking kid. What's that about? But he persisted. He was willing to wait, even though God hadn't blessed he and Sarah with children yet. Verse 16, I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. God said that in reference to Sarah. And now Isaac's birth was kind of, listen to this, the down payment of that promise. Finally, we have the first down payment concerning those future generations. It's as though God's saying, look, Abraham, hang in there, man. This is just a foretaste of what's coming. This is just a part of those thousands of generations that will come because of the birth of Isaac. Hang in there. Hey, hey. What makes you hang in there? When the boss, when the boss calls you in, and says, you know what, we're kind of restructuring around here and we're, we're downsizing jobs and we've got to eliminate your position. What, what keeps you hanging on in a moment like that? We get the call in the middle of the night. Hey, you'd better get down here to the emergency room right away. There's been a horrible accident. Where do you turn? In a moment like that. When someone, when someone for whom you've sacrificed, 
given your heart and soul, someone you dearly love looks at you in the eye and says, you know what, I'm not really sure I love you anymore, and I'm just not willing to go on living a lie. What keeps you hanging on? Life dishes out stuff like that. But are Christians any different in those moments from non-Christians? You see, the Christ follower doesn't see a hopeless end. They tend to see an endless hope. Why? Because we've got a down payment in us that Abraham and Sarah couldn't even dream about. God has put the Holy Spirit in us as a deposit, a down payment guaranteeing what is to come, our future home in heaven. He guarantees our eternal destiny. And he's already given us a foretaste of it right now. A little boy and his dad were in an elevator in the Empire State Building down in the city, and they had punched the buttons to go all the way to the top, and man, is that elevator fast. So fast. Their ears are popping, and this little five-year-old boy is wide-eyed with wonder as he watches the numbers ascend to 5, 11, 27, 52. Man, they're zooming up fast. The little guy gets a little scared. He grabs his dad's hand and says, Dad, does God know we're coming? (laughs) Yeah, he knows. He knows you're coming. He's planned for it. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven is going to be a fulfillment of every anticipation, every yearning. It's going to be the reversal of every heartache that you've ever had, friend. You don't want to miss that. That's the ultimate fulfillment of the promise. But today as we conclude, I want us to look quickly at two realities about eternity. The first is that there are so many people who are headed for hell. I know that's blunt. There are so many people headed for hell. In President Lyndon Johnson's first State of the Union address back in 1964, he said these words that were sticky to the country. They were often quoted. He said, there's too many Americans who are living on the outskirts of hope. Now, he was speaking, of course, in that context of economic despair, racial segregation, and racial oppression. That's what he was talking about. It was all true. But you know, he could have just as well been speaking of spiritual realities. You realize that there's so many people living on the outskirts of hope. Their laughter has no substance. Their life has no meaning. Their destiny is a Christless eternity. And here's the deal. If you believe this book called the Bible, if you believe the gospel, 
we have in our hearts and in our hands, we have this message of life, eternal life, if we'll only share it. You see, that's a reason to get up every day. You know, I meet a lot of dear friends, dear brothers and sisters that are a little down, and, and I know sometimes, boy, life can get you that way, and I realize that a lot of times it's, it's just miserable, isn't it? I mean, it really is. Let's be honest. But here's the thing with me. I don't know how it is with you. Even when I'm going through some of the nastiest seasons of life, I still have a reason to get up every day. Do you? My reason for getting up every day is that, look, I believe God's given us a message that's true. And so no matter how we're feeling that day, no matter what's going on around us, no matter how disappointed we are with people or whatever, we still got a reason to get up. And folks, that's one of the reasons that I have never been more excited about Grace Fellowship Church. We've been going now for a little over 24 years, but we're just toddlers. We're just getting started. We're learning, and I believe that God's going to give us amazing years ahead. That's why things like this 2020 vision pump me up so much, because I just believe that through our faithfulness, we're going to see generations of people who come to know Jesus Christ if our Lord tarries in his coming. And boy, that's a reason to get up every day. So that's the first reality. So many people are headed for hell, and we've got, we've got the antidote. We've got the solution, if we'll only share it. But the second reality I want us to consider for a moment is there's so many Christians who doubt that they're going to heaven. Dr. Steve Hook said, most Christians are more scared of hell, hell than they are sure of heaven. What about you? Are you sure that you're going to heaven? Now, I believe that we should not breed confidence or arrogance, I should say. We should not breed arrogance in people, some flippant arrogance, but we should cultivate confidence. I believe that. The Apostle John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know you can know that? You don't have to walk around wondering if you might go to heaven someday. And the reason you don't have to wonder about that is it's not based on your goodness, it's based on his goodness. It's not based on your performance, it's based on what he did for you at the cross. We are saved and sanctified by Christ, death, and life. Now, as we wrap up today, I don't want anyone to miss the meaning of this message. God has not promised every single couple that they're going to have a baby. God has not promised you a new land or even a larger, nicer house, although that would be awesome. God has not even promised you a happy marriage. Here's the promise God has made, that if you believe and trust in what he did for you at the cross, an empty tomb, he will forgive all your sin. 
He will adopt you into his family, and he'll literally put that down payment inside of you. The Holy Spirit himself changing you from the inside out, and heaven will be your home. That's a promise. That's a promise. And God rekindles hope by keeping his promise. There was a five-year-old boy who went to the department store with his mom and dad. They were busy shopping. They were just focused on trying to find some clothes they needed. And unfortunately, they kind of forgot for a few moments about their little five-year-old. And he was kind of rambunctious and began to scurry off. Well, after a few minutes, they realized he was gone. And frantically, they began to search. They couldn't find him anywhere. They ran up and down aisles. They began to call his name to no avail. And finally, the employees of this spacious department store got involved searching for their dear son. And about 10 minutes later, after they were just, their hearts were just frozen with fear, they heard a loud announcement over the PA system. Would Mr. and Mrs. Bernard Johnson please report to the manager's office up on the second floor. They couldn't get to those escalators fast enough. They bounded up those moving steps, went to the manager's office, threw open the door, and there sitting behind the manager's desk with his feet propped up on the desk, sipping on an ice-cold Coke with a huge grin on his face was their little five-year-old. But when he saw the frantic worry on his mother's face, he immediately burst into tears. <laughs> you see, he didn't know he was lost until he was found. And I believe there's a whole lot of people around our area who are lost, but they might not fully grasp that. They just know they need something. They know they feel empty inside. They know life is not turning out as they'd hoped. They, they know there's got to be more than this, and they desperately want to find it. Listen, some 4,000 years ago, a baby brought hope to Abraham and Sarah. But about 2,000 years ago, another baby was born. And he didn't just bring hope to some parents or to a nation. That baby brought hope to the world. And if you don't know him today, I want to tell you, this is the time you ought to open your life to him. And you ought to spend the rest of your life getting to know him better. His name is Jesus Christ. And he loves you dearly. I don't know how anybody else feels, but in reading and studying this episode of Abraham and Sarah, all these stories, all these pictures of their life, it's obvious to me that you took your brush and dipped it in the gold and made that scene come alive. You brought hope to a hopeless situation where there was desolation and gloom. You brought a cozy warmth. You brought life. Lord, would you do that for many people this day who may be living on the outskirts of hope? They desperately need to know you. Would you do what you alone can do and draw them to yourself? 
In Jesus' name, amen and amen.